Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. So, let's transition a little bit, see if we can do that. Uh, We live in very anxious times. We live in times of high anxiety. And some of this has to do with the fact that there's terrorism in our world, uh, that there's a lot of very frightening things. There's, you know, even though the economy seems to be on the rebound, there's still some uncertainty as to what's going to take place. There's a lot of political division in our country. There are elections coming up this year. There's just a lot of things to be anxious and worried about. Um, Someone has said this, a researcher has has identified that the the amount of anxiety that a teenager, the typical American teenager carries today in 2018, the amount of anxiety that that typical teenager carries is the same level of anxiety that a psychiatric patient carried in the 1950s. And it's just the culture that we're living in. There's just so much pressure. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much, what do I do? How do we handle this? What's going to happen? And, and I notice this sometimes when I'm talking to people because they say, well, okay, we're going to do this. Well, what if that doesn't work? Then what are we going to do? And if that doesn't work, then what are we going to do? And if that doesn't work, what are we going to do? And they want to plan for everything because there's a hope for some kind of control because I don't want to be caught off guard and surprised in any way. So there's a lot of anxiety um, I heard a story recently of a, of, a, of, a, of a teenager that was so anxious that the youth pastor said to the parents, we think, I think your daughter needs to go see a counselor and, our, and doctor and maybe be medicated for, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I think maybe they need to be medicated. And the mother said, it probably would be good if I went to the doctor too because I haven't left my house for a year because I'm so anxious. I'm so afraid and so worried. Now, I know those are extreme examples, but there are so many things that we as parents, we as grandparents, we as single adults, we as teenagers and children, there are things that we struggle with, burdens that we carry that make us so worried and so frightened and so anxious. Our jobs, our health, you know, I've got a pain, I've got an ache, I've got a you know, this or that, I wonder what it means. And you, you go, to the, go to WebMD or the Google or something like that, you type it in, okay, I got these symptoms, these symptoms, and then and they give you, you know, 30 different things that might be, and one of those is death, and the other is, you know, it's, it's something else that just might be, you know, take an aspirin and you'll be fine. But it's always that heavy end, the dangerous end, the worst end that we tend to go to. And we just do that because we're very fragile people that desperately need somebody to help us. And if we're not worried for ourselves, we're certainly worried for our kids and our grandkids or our spouse and our marriage. We're very frightened. So what do we do? This summer, we've decided to devote our attention to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, the hymn book of ancient Israel. And as we've been looking at different Psalms, last week, Pastor Josh took us to that beautiful Beloved Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, remember? And uh, I always think about the little girl that was in Sunday school saying that Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. And, you know, she said it wrong, but said it right because that's exactly what the passage is saying. And that's what Pastor Josh was trying to emphasize as well, that I trust you, God. 
I can depend upon you, God. But today, as we face this issue of anxiety and worry and fear that is so much in the atmosphere that we breathe, it's part of our lives, just how do we cope with it? And the writer of Psalm 62 was dealing with that himself. This is a Psalm of King David. This is where we're gonna be reading today. And as you look at Psalm 62 and, and look at this little 12 verse Psalm, David is trying to say, it's only you, God. It's only you, God. You're who I trust in. You are who I depend upon. You are the one who truly can bring calmness and peace and stability to my life, no matter how difficult things are. In this psalm, he's going to describe how difficult his situation was. And in this psalm, David is going to keep going back to this idea Always trust God alone. Can you say that with me? Always trust God alone. That's, that's my little take on the theme of this psalm. And that's what I think we really need to remember and need to remind ourselves and constantly tell ourselves always. I need to always trust God alone. I need to rely on him alone because that's the only way I will be able to deal with the anxieties that I'm facing, the worries that I'm facing, the fears that I'm encountering in my life. And so I want to encourage you to take your Bible right now, whether it's online or a traditional book, I want you to find in your Bible Psalm 62. And I want you to turn there, and I, I, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today. I want us to stand up and read this psalm together. I want us to, to read it together. And, and part of what makes me a tiny bit sad this morning is that I wish we could have heard the melody and the tune the, the accompaniment that went with this when the people would sing this in ancient Israel. I wish we could hear that. And I'm so thankful that the people in the back have already stood up and they're waiting for the people in the front to stand up. So stand up. <laughs> all right. God bless you leaders all the way back there. Let's just read this together. Psalm 62, good loud voice. Okay, ready? For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken. Twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, 
for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Give thanks to God. You may be seated. So I, I don't know if you noticed a couple interesting things about the way this poem, this psalm is written. I, I don't know if you can see how David is expressing the, the trust that's deep in his soul, the anxiety and fears that he was facing, and, and how he went to the Lord and relied upon him. There's a couple things I just want to point out to you about the structure and design of the, of the psalm, because it's not just a set of words. The way it's written and organized is very important as well. For example, you'll notice in verses 1 through basically verse 7, David's giving a testimony. And he's saying, I trusted the Lord and I did this, and, and here's why. There were all these bad guys that were trying to get me. And then in verse 5, he talks about trusting the Lord again. And then notice in verse 8, he kind of turns to the congregation. He was doing this personal testimony. And then he goes to the congregation. He says, well, you need to trust the Lord too, O people. You need to pour out your heart to him. You need to rely on him always. Do that because he's a refuge for us. And then verses 9 through 12, David gives two very powerful reasons as to why we should be trusting the Lord. And we'll show those in just a few minutes as well. Why we need to always trust the Lord alone and rely on Him. There's something else I want you to notice. In verse 1 and verse 2, I think verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, there's the word alone or only. Do you see that? Alone or only. And that's a word that's just repeated. It's actually the first word of each one of those verses in the Hebrew language. And it's even there in verse 9, but it's translated but in that verse there in the middle. Those of lowest state are but a breath. Really, like the New American Standard translates it, it should read, but they're only a breath. That's all they are, okay? And he's trying to emphasize something very important here. That's where we get this idea of what David is focusing on is you trust the Lord alone. You rely on him alone. Not the Lord plus, well, I'm gonna maybe worship another God. That's what temptation in ancient Israel, you know, God plus Baal. It's not that, it's, it's God. God and God alone, not God and my strength, my way of figuring it out, or my doctor, or my financial planner, or my bank, or my education, my skills, my wits, or my family, my heritage, my reputation. It's no, I trust God alone, and I'm relying on Him alone. And this is just emphasized over and over in this psalm. So why don't we work our way through this? We've kind of already given you at least a little appetizer about where we're going. But he's saying here, always trust God alone. Always trust God alone. That's the antidote to anxiety. I don't mean to make this simplistic in any way. The problems we face in life are real. They're big. They're awful. Big challenges. Some of you are waiting for a report from your doctor and you're on pins and needles. What's the doctor going to say to you? You're very frightened by that. I don't mean to minimize that in any way. Some of us have gone through tremendous hurts and pains in our past and we're still struggling to, to reconcile with others and we're trying to figure out, we're trying to deal with those hurts and it just eats away at us and I don't want to minimize that in any way. I don't want to minimize how tight your finances are. I don't want to minimize what a struggle you're having in your marriage. I don't want to minimize in any way the challenges you're facing as you're raising your kids or trying to love your grandkids. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. I don't want to minimize how difficult it is getting along with the people at work. 
All those things that cause anxiety, they are very real and they're very big, but the antidote to dealing all of those things, to ultimately work them out and find God's peace and experience His calmness, is ultimately to always trust God alone. That's where it starts. Okay? So David begins this psalm and he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. Some of the older translations say, My God, my, uh, for God alone I rest. My soul rests in the Lord. And that's the, that's the idea of the in silence. It's, it's not that I don't have anything to say as much as it is I'm just, I'm at peace, I'm calm. I'm trusting God, and I get this peace that comes from it. I, I, I get a calmness knowing that he's there. It's, it's like a child that's very frightened and very upset, and as soon as mom or dad picks them up, they just settle down, and you know they're, they're still wiping the tears, and they're, they're still kind of, you know, like kids do when they're stopped crying and they've been so upset. But after a bit, they can just relax. And, and that's what David is trying to say here. You know what? Everybody else let me down, but God the Father has been faithful and true to me, and I have experienced His peace and His calmness in my life because I'm trusting and I'm depending on Him. He says, from this God alone comes my salvation. That's a good little verse to memorize and even just pray to remind yourself. God, from God comes my salvation. I can't rescue myself or save myself in any way. He explains what he means in verse 2. He alone, just in case you forgot, <laughs> he alone is my rock, this high rock that I climb up to when there's a flood so that I'm not swept away. He's my salvation, the one who rescues me, who delivers me in the midst of my trials and trouble. Not that he takes me out of my trials and troubles and make them all go away, poof, with his magic wand. It's not like that. But that he's there with me to bring me through the troubles, to get me through it. He's my fortress. He also is the one that is so strong and so secure that I will not be greatly shaken. There's a lot of debate among the Bible scholars. What does he mean by greatly shaken? And I think he's just trying to say here, I, my life won't be wrecked to pieces. I won't be crushed. Yes, I'm in the middle of this earthquake. I'm in the middle of this hurricane. But the Lord is with me. And I trust him alone. And he's given me his peace even in the midst of this so that I will not be greatly shaken apart. I won't fall apart because he is strengthening me. It's not because I'm physically strong. It's not because I'm so smart or I'm so rich. It's none of those things. It's not because of my reputation and my connections and network. It's because I have the Lord. He's the one that strengthens and stabilizes me in the midst of the trauma and trouble that I'm experiencing in my life. Here's the trouble that he's specifically referring to. And it's a relationship issue. Notice what it says in verse 3. David turns, and from addressing the crowd in, you know, that's maybe there to worship, he now turns to the, the people that are hurting him. And he says to them, How long will you attack a man to batter him <clears throat> like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? And when I was first studying this, I thought David was saying the tottering wall and the leaning fence, that that was him. And these guys were going to come and just push him over. He was so weak. He was so tired. He was so frail that they were just going to push him over and it was all going to collapse. The more I look at it, I think what he's trying to say is, it's like I'm standing under a tottering wall that's ready to collapse on top of me because of these guys persecuting me. You could take it either way. 
But it's almost like I'm standing here and the wall's ready to fall on top of me. That's what this persecution is like from these people. How long are you going to keep doing this? And then he explains, it's not so much that they were physically abusing him, but notice what he says in verse 4. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. Now David's saying, I'm trusting God alone. I only rely on the Lord. I only depend on him, not my government, not my you know, political party, not my political ideology, not my wealth, my health, none of those things. I'm not relying on any of that. I'm relying on the Lord alone. The only thing that they're doing, these enemies, they're only plotting to get me. They're plotting to attack me. They're plotting to hurt me. That's all they're focused on. Now you might think, well, pfft, if this is really written by King David, what's the big deal? He's the king. <laughs> He's got his secret service. He's got his mighty men. He's got his army. He's got the whole kingdom to protect him. Why is he afraid? Because he understands that even when you're the most powerful person around, you're still vulnerable. Just because you're in power today doesn't mean you're in power tomorrow. We've had some of the most powerful people in our country go to bed at night and wake up, not waking up. <laughs> They're dead. They died in their sleep. Supreme Court Justice just had that happen a couple years ago. Died in his sleep. Heart attack. We're vulnerable. We're very, very weak. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. And then they explain, he explains, they bless with their mouths. They're always saying nice things to me. They're always complimenting me. They're always flattering me. They're always doing this kind of stuff to me. But inwardly, they're actually cursing me. They're plotting my demise. They're undermining me with rumors and gossip and slander, and they're constantly trying to tear me down. Listen, David's life was precarious. Yes, you think about you know, only a boy named David with a slingshot and beating up Goliath and knocking him down and becoming king and all of this stuff, but if you look at the, the, the arc of David's life, you know, he's the youngest of seven sons, and he's kind of minimized by his father and his brothers, and he's just a guy out in the pasture taking care of sheep, and he gets called by God and promoted to this place of great leadership in the entire nation. But all the while that he is rising up as a young leader, he has enemies who are attacking him. So the king is jealous, King Saul, and wants to kill David, and David spends 20, 30 years of his life running for his life. And Saul is within a hair's breadth of catching David and killing him. And David is running for his life the whole time that he's remembering, but God said, I'll be king. I wonder how this is going to play out because Saul's ready to kill me and I can't be king if I'm dead. And then finally he becomes king. Saul dies, he becomes king, and he's serving his king and he serves his king for about 20 years and then he has this huge moral indiscretion. He commits adultery with one of the wives of the soldier, a leading officer in his army, and he has an affair with her, a one-night stand, and she becomes pregnant, and he murders her husband, and, and, and God judges him for that. And his own son, Absalom, rises up in rebellion against his father. And David has to run for his life again. 
And eventually God deals with Absalom and he's killed and the rebellion is squashed and David is restored back to the throne and, and there still was another rebellion, a guy named Sheba later on. And there were all these things that kept taking place in David's life and we call him the greatest of Israel's kings, the greatest of, one of the greatest kings that's ever been in earth's history. And yet he spent so much of his life running away from trouble. He was constantly in danger, ready to be killed at any moment. You talk about having anxiety. You talk about living your life full of worries. You think about being so overwhelmed with the fact that at any moment it all could be over and you could lose everything. That was David. And yet he composes this song and expresses his trust in God. Can I just ask you to do a little thought exercise with me for a minute? This is not original to me. I heard somebody else do this. I want you, this, is, this may sound a little oogie, oogie to you a little bit, but just, just humor, humor me for a minute, okay? I want you just to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine a very peaceful, just imagine peace. Imagine something very peaceful, tranquil. Just imagine that. Okay, thank you. Now, can you open your eyes? What did you imagine? Some of you probably thought about sitting by the beach, just by yourself, just enjoying the waves, the sunrise, something like that. Some of you probably saw a mountain stream. Some of you probably saw something else that was very beautiful, very relaxing. A fellow that uh, did this exercise with some people uh, at, a, at a conference, he says that everybody was describing all kinds of beautiful places and locations that they were seeing, and none of them had any people. Hmm. Hmm. Did, did you have any people in your picture? Nope. Okay, thank you for being honest. Okay. Nope. Nope. There I am in my campsite by myself. There I am sitting on that vista by myself. There I am enjoying that sunrise by myself. There I am walking through the woods by myself. There I am by myself. It's like we understand that if you're going to have peace, you've got to eliminate all the people. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. If you're married, you can't do that. If you have children or grandchildren, you can't do that. If you work a job and you're not self-employed, you can't do that. If you're a teacher and you go to school, you can't do that. We're always around people. And David was always around people. And in this psalm, he's saying, I somehow found peace even though there were all these people around me, even my enemies. I was able to experience peace with God, calmness with God. I could sit there and wait and trust on the Lord, even in silence, knowing that God, I could be calm in that moment because I was trusting God in spite of all the people around me, in spite of all the turmoil and persecution that I was encountering. You see, a lot of us think if I could just get away, then I'll have peace. If I could just quit this job or get out of this group or stop doing this, you know, this thing that involves people, then, then I'll have peace. Then my life will be okay. And David's trying to say, that's not what you need. It's not running away from people. It's running to God. And always trusting in Him alone. 
That's what it's really all about. In fact, the thing is, and this is what David, I think, understands, is that you and I forget that. We forget that we need to always trust God alone. We forget that. So we have to keep reminding ourselves. And really, I think one of the great disciplines of the Christian life is to be meditating and reminding ourselves on what the Scripture says. It's not emptying your mind and trying to make your mind blank, but it's filling your mind with what God, who God is and what He's done for you. His plans for you, His promises to you. It's filling our minds with that and reminding ourselves over and over with that. Notice verse 5. This is another little literary structure in the psalm that's very different. You probably have already noticed that verse 5 is, sounds very much like verse 1, Right? For God alone, my, oh, my soul, wait in silence. Verse 1 says, for God alone, my soul in silence waits. But do you notice the difference between the two verses? One is a statement. Verse 1 is a statement of fact. Verse 5 is, it's, it's called an imperative. It's a, it's a statement to yourself to do something. He's like commanding himself to do something. And so what he's saying in verse 5 is, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. He's not stating what's already happening. He's reminding us and particularly reminding himself that he needs to wait on God alone and not give up and not forget that. No matter how difficult the people are around him, no matter how tumultuous his situation is, no no matter how trouble filled his life is, wait on the Lord, O my soul. Trust in the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget to rely on Him. Always, always trust in the Lord alone. Don't forget that. And so David is constantly reminding himself of the truth. For my hope is in Him. It's from Him. My salvation, my hope is from Him. And then he goes further. What does this look like? These are the things that he's reminding himself of. He only is my rock. I don't have any security or stability in my job. I don't have any security and stability in my education. All our education goes out of date pretty quick. Our jobs are not that secure. And then he says, he is my fortress, he is my salvation. I can't rescue myself. I certainly can't make myself right with God. I certainly can't do anything for my forgiveness and acceptance with God. Only God can provide that. He's my fortress. What do you trust in to keep your life secure? That a new alarm system? That new gun you have? And your permit? And your training? Is it the fact that you just put a double lock on your doors? Is it that you went and got all your vaccines? Is it that you've added, you've got that big safety cushion in your savings account in case there's a problem, you've got that extra cash? What what, what are you trusting in for your security? All those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not belittling them in any way. But what are you relying in? What are you trusting in? He says, God is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And notice the difference between that verse and verse Verse 2, where he says, I shall not be greatly shaken in verse 2. In verse 6, he says, I shall not be shaken. And I think the picture is, I'm not going to be shaken at all. God is going to be there to help me through this. So that even though this is hard and painful, frightening, God is going to be there with me. 
And I will not be shaken to pieces and fall apart because I am always trusting in the Lord alone. I'm depending on Him. He amplifies it even further in verse 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. Where glory there is the idea of reputation and honor. Do you care about what other people think of you? I do. I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> Not that I'm doing it very well, but you know, that's, that's kind of how I live my life, all right? Okay, worry about what other people think. You want to push one of my buttons, that's what you do? Well, you know, if you really cared about me, you would do this, you know. You know, that, okay. But this verse is saying, I don't really care what anybody else thinks about me because God is the one who saves my glory, my reputation, my honor. And it's really all that matters is what does God think? That's the bottom line. What does God think about me? And you know what God thinks about you? He loves you. He treasures you. He values you. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, you belong to Him. You are priceless to Him. And He will never, ever, ever let you go. He is my mighty rock. My refuge is God. So David, as he's challenging the people to always trust God alone, he's saying, look, this is my story. This is my song. I trust the Lord. I rely on Him. But there were these bad guys who tried to overthrow me and knock me down like I was a tottering wall. In fact, I felt like they were a tottering wall that was ready to demolish, be demolished and collapse on top of me and crush me. But I'm relying on the Lord always. I'm trusting in Him alone. And He will always see me through. And I've had to constantly remind myself of that because I'm so easily distracted. I'm so easily frightened. I'm so easily discouraged that I have to keep going back to what does the truth of Scripture say? Always trust God alone. That's what the Scripture says. Why? He's your rock. He's your fortress. He's your salvation. He's the one who's there for you no matter how difficult life gets. No matter what is making you afraid, God is greater. That's what David's saying. So he pivots again and now he turns in verse 8 and he addresses the congregation. He addresses all the people that have been singing this song with him so far. And it's almost like David puts his hands on his hips and he says, okay, what about you? I was trusting the Lord. This is how he saw me through. Are you trusting the Lord always? Are you relying on him alone always? Are you doing that? Because he says, look, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart to him before him. And that's really talking about very emotional prayer. You know, just being honest about what you're grieving over. Some of, you are, some of us are grieving. We've, we've suffered great losses this year. A loved one's passed. A job's been lost. Maybe there's been a failure, a scandal in our lives. And we desperately need God's comfort and grace as we deal with those hurts. He says, I pour out my heart to him. God is a refuge for us. Now, you notice there's that funny word, selah. And those are not those uh, you know, animals at the circus that bounce the little balls on their nose. A selah in Hebrew it's just a word, we, we honestly don't know what it means for sure, but it has this idea of pause. 
And it may be a, a notation for a musical interlude, or it may be that the congregation is supposed to just stop and think about it while the instruments play. Either way, there's a pause, and instead of listening to someone talk, you're supposed to just pause and reflect. Think about what he's saying, and he's already said that once, and now he's saying it again. Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart to him. Pour it out, you're full of emotion, you're full of pain, you're full of hurts. Don't sit there and worry and be stewing about it. Don't sit there and let the anxiety overwhelm you. Pour it out in prayer. The elders of our church know that the congregation's growing. And we praise God for your faithfulness in worshiping here and serving here. And we look around the room and we see that it's full and it's great and we're excited about that. But what do we do? What do we do with this? You know, do we build a building? Do we enlarge the building? Do we go to two services? Do we have a third service? What do we do? What do we do? And you say, oh, I would never think of any of that. That's okay. But we're praying. So yesterday morning we met for prayer and we met to study the word and we met, yes, we had breakfast. That's always good. <laughs> but we prayed. And we were praying for you and we were praying for our church because our hearts are full of things that worry us. It's not sinful to worry. It's sinful to worry and not take your worries to the Lord in prayer. That's what's wrong. All of us have anxieties. All of us have worries. But what do you do with your worry and your anxiety that's natural? You go to the Lord in prayer. That's what we're called to do. And so David is saying to the congregation, go trust the Lord. And by the way, that word trust, it's the idea of speedily racing to the Lord for refuge. You flee to him as quickly as you can when those anxieties and those worries come. Lord, what am I going to do? <laughs> Lord, look at my little daughter. Look at my little son. What am I going to do? They're, they're so sick. They're, they're struggling in school. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, other people got fired at work and the bosses may be coming for me. What am I going to do? I've got this pain and ache. My insurance is <laughs> pretty bad. What do I do? I've got a loved one I care about. I want to see come to faith in Christ. I want to witness. It's so hard. They're not open. What do I do? Pour out your heart to him. One other thing that's important to notice in verse 8 is that the, the imperative that's given there, they are plurals, meaning all of us are supposed to do this. Trust him, flee to him, run to him as soon as you can. That's what all of us are supposed to do. Don't sit back and say, I've got this because you don't got it. Don't sit back and say, I can figure this out because you can't. I can't. But flee to the Lord as fast as you can and that's what all of us should learn how to do. To call out to Him. And you might be thinking, I haven't done that before. Why, why would God even listen to me? He wants to listen to you and He wants to help you. And He's sitting back waiting for you to come to Him that way because He's saying, why have you been carrying this burden by yourself so long? I'm here for you. Flee to him. Pour out your heart to him. That's a plural command also. Keep all of us. Keep praying. And God will lift that burden. Now why? Why is this so important? Okay, we already have David's example and testimony. So that's a great thing. But you say, well, you know, he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, he was a great king. I mean, anybody could take a slingshot and kill a giant. That's pretty awesome. I could never do that. Why should I? 
always trust God alone. Why should I do that? Well, the first reason is really in verses nine, verse 9. I mean, your options for trusting, if you're not going to trust in God, it's, it's trusting in other people or trusting in yourself. And he just wants to remind you what other people are like and what you're like and what I'm like. Those of low estate are but a breath. Some people go through life, well, thank God I'm not like the intelligentsia or the elite that are so out of touch and so foolish. I have common sense. I'm the ordinary man. That's great. And God says about you and about me, if we think that of ourselves, you're just a breath. That's all you are. You're not that smart. You're not that strong. You're not that wise. And your common sense isn't really that wise. It's common, but that doesn't mean it's good. Sometimes common sense is very foolish. The next verse statement of the verse says, those of highest state are a delusion. Some people in our world go through life saying, well, I have an education. I've got all these initials after my name. I've got all these initials at the front of my name because I have rank, I have authority, I have experience. I know something. Others of us say, well, I've got money in the bank. Or look at my fitness, or look at this. And, and they think themselves as being exalted. They're elites. And maybe you think, well, I'm not like the common guy. I'm above that. Look at my education and intelligence and experience. My network and connections. And David says those are a high estate or a delusion. Literally, that's a lie. You're no better than the breath. What he's trying to say, whether you see yourself as being high and powerful or you see yourself being very lowly, don't take any pride in that position because you're inadequate, you're incompetent, and you don't have the strength to save yourself. You don't have the ability to rescue yourself or your family or anyone else from the things that are making you so, so anxious. And if you don't have that power, neither does anybody else, so don't trust in them either. That financial, you know, go to a financial planner. Go to the doctor, listen to your teacher, but understand they're just another mortal and understand that they are just a breath, just as you are just a puff of breath. And even though they may be very wise, really their wisdom compared to God's is ultimately a lie and so is mine. That's why we have to constantly go back to what does the word of God say? Here's your, your foundation. Here's your truth because it tells you who God is. He has this very vivid illustration of this. This is, this is almost humorous. In the balances, they go up. They're altogether lighter than a breath. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I get on a scale, it really goes down. Okay? So if you can kind of remember in the olden days, the, the balances that had the two pans hanging from the bars, and you would put you know, maybe a gold nugget or something over here, and then they would try to weigh how much it was, and they would put these little small weights, and they'd add it up until they balanced perfectly. You know, the old-time scales at the doctor's office, you stand on, and he's, he's moving the things across like this, and I said, no, just go back. You know, we kind of do that stuff. It's, it's the same thing, the, ba the balance there. Okay, so when you take the elites, and you take the lowly, and you put all people on the scales the scale actually goes up. 
there's no weight or substance to our lives. And you say, now wait a minute, I thought we were created in the image of God. I thought God loves us. He's not talking about your value and worth and purpose. Yes, that has great worth and depth and substance. But for our ability to save ourselves and fix our problems, we have no capacity at all. So how foolish it is to trust in other people or trust in yourself to rescue yourself from the things that are making you anxious. The scales go up. That's how much power we have, wisdom we have, ability we have to fix the problems that we're facing. But then notice in verse 10, he kind of applies this a little further. Don't trust in trying to rig the system or, you know, Cut the corners, take a few shortcuts to try to make things work out. Don't put any trust in extortion, trying to oppress other people. Have no vain hopes in robbery, trying to, again, cheat other people. If riches increase, and even if you get them honestly, if riches increase, set not your heart on them because those riches ultimately are not the true riches that you seek and that you need. That's one reason why you need to trust God alone always. Because any other source of trust, any other thing that you would rely on will let you down because they don't have the power to save you. But then here's why you should trust in God, a a positive reason, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, and he's kind of doing this for emphasis. It's not that God necessarily said two things, but it's just the idea, I heard it once, I heard it twice. I was really paying attention. God was really emphasizing this to me. And this is what I heard, that power belongs to God. Power doesn't belong to the military. Power doesn't belong to the president, any president, any king, any queen. Power doesn't belong to the CEO. Power doesn't belong to the superintendent. Power doesn't belong to the father or the mother. Power ultimately belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the pastor. It belongs to God. That's where all authority and power comes from. Power belongs to God. And something else he heard, that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This is a word. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It just simply means a loyal, dedicated, committed love. So God, when he approaches you and I, he has power. Power all power, but he has a steadfast love for you as well. He holds them both. Some people say, I don't see how God can have all power and have steadfast love. They seem to contradict each other and sometimes bad things happen to good people and all that. I don't get how that could possibly work together, but that's what the scripture says. And I'm not saying that just because the scripture says it's true, it is true, but in life, in life, it is true. You say, how do you know that? You see the power of God and you see the love of God in the cross of Jesus. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The power of God was seen that when Jesus went to the cross, he died in our place. God poured out his judgment upon his own son, the judgment that I deserve and you deserve because of our sin and our rebellion and our our just resistance to God and his plan, God poured out that judgment upon his own son for us so that we would be forgiven and accepted by God. God showed his power by raising his son from the dead. 
and the Lord and Savior that we worship, the God we are to always trust Him alone. That God is the God who conquered death. That God was raised from the dead and He's alive forevermore and one day is coming back. And because there's a God who, who showed His great power through the resurrection and His great love through the cross, you can certainly rely and trust in Him. In fact, He even says at the end of verse 12 that because God is so loving and He is so powerful that one day He is going to render every man, to every individual, to every body according to their work. And He's going to show His power and His love by vindicating those who trust in Him always. Maybe you think that God's ignoring you. Maybe you think that other people, the enemy, the liberals, the conservatives, the Republicans or the Democrats, the commies or the, you know, the free market people, whoever they are, maybe you think they have the upper hand over you and they don't. They absolutely do not. Your God does. The God who sent Jesus to the cross because of his great love and who raised that Jesus from the dead in his great power. He did that for you so that Jesus has suffered the judgment that you and I deserve so we can be forgiven and accepted by God and have Jesus, God in the flesh, be the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what people do to me. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't have to be anxious anymore. I can rest in Him and Him alone. I can do that always because He is the God who is so powerful and so loving and you see that in His Son, the Lord Jesus. That God is available to you. Will you trust Him always and trust Him alone? Will you do that? Now look, if you go talk to a counselor, Sometimes working through your anxieties with a counselor will be very beneficial. If you talk to your doctor about your anxieties, he'll say, well, just get some more exercise. That'll really help, and it does. You know, talking it through, getting some exercise, those are great stress and anxiety relievers. There's no question. But if you really want to get to the heart and root of the matter, is how will you live your life? Will you trust the Lord always? and trust Him alone. If you do, He indeed will take the worries and anxieties that you're carrying and carry them for you. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your salvation. He is your God if you trust in Jesus alone and always. Okay? How about if we pray together? Oh Lord, <clears throat> I thank you for this privilege of being in your presence today and I thank you for my church family, my forever family, and I just am delighted to be with them today to worship. But even more than that, I thank you that you are our Heavenly Father when we trust in you. And my prayer, Lord, is that we would do that, that we would rely on him and him alone, the Lord Jesus the one who is your power and steadfast love personified. I ask that, Lord, you would help us trust and rely on him alone. I pray that we would identify the anxieties and worries that we're carrying and that we would just be honest with you and say, Lord, this is what I'm, this is what I'm concerned about. 
You know, maybe some of the things that we're worrying about really aren't that important, but some of them really are. And I pray that we would go to you and carry those burdens to you and cast them upon you because you care for us. Lord, we thank you that we can always trust you alone because you are the God who is always able to save. Thank you. Amen.